Hello, Automotive Trends readers and listeners. This is Executive Editor Brandon Dye bringing you Episode 8 of the Automotive Trends podcast. Joined tonight by our usual crew, we got Senior Editor Jason Muxlow. Yellow. And our Design Editor Eric Grenan. Hi. And we got a lot of things to talk about tonight, but I did want to mention one correction right up front. In a previous podcast, I made mention to uh, the 2011 Hyundai Sonata we reviewed. I think I mentioned that vehicle having a direct injection 2-liter 4-cylinder engine. That's actually a 2.4-liter direct injection engine. Still a great engine, still making 200 horsepower in the SE model, just not a 2-liter, 2.4-liter. So I wanted to clear that up. Uh, We like to correct the record anytime we spout off some incorrect information, and then we realize we said something incorrect, and that's what happened in this case. So... Jason, I think you got our first topic. Go ahead and get us started tonight. Yep, we're going to start right off. Last time we talked, Eric, well, as we were finishing the podcast last time, Eric took off on us, headed down to Albuquerque. So we're going to check in with him and see how his road trip went. Well, first of all, I think when you were recording while I was on that trip, I was actually parked in front of the Cadillac Ranch just off of Route 66, which was kind of a... I don't know. It's it's one of those sites that you have to see when you when you take Route 66, and uh, and it was really kind of neat for me to actually see it. And for I guess people who aren't familiar, like back in 1974, some eccentric billionaire shoved ten Cadillacs nose down into the dirt on his ranch, ranging from model year 1949, I believe, through 1963. And it was just kind of an odd thing. And some people thought it was an eyesore, and other people started spray painting it, and the guy really didn't mind and just kind of viewed it as kind of, uh, I guess, public art. And uh, so I was able to go out there and take a look at how much damage those cars have endured over the past uh, 40 years and uh, or nearly 40 years. So it was kind of neat, uh, kind of neat to see. I've got, got some good pictures, I think, uh, that we'll be posting of that. And, uh, uh, so that was kind of fun. But the last couple road trips, we've, we've done some tallies. And this time, I took it upon myself to come up with a tally of of things to count on the road. And this time, somewhat inspired by the fact that I drive a two-seater, Brandon drives a two-seater, and I was thinking, you know, you don't see a lot of two-seater cars, you know, actually on the road. And I I was just thinking, I, I wonder... I wonder what the take rate is, or, or how they how they play out. What what two seaters are the most popular? And so that's what I counted on my entire trip, which was like it was over twenty five hundred miles. Good so, gracious, that's a lot to keep track of. It really was. It was fun because because I was always you know my my eyes were always you know scanning the oncoming traffic for for, for what there was. So I guess to start out, I'll tell you how I broke things down then ask for you guys to make some, some guesses as, as, as to what the winners were. I broke cars down into the model that they were. So let's say, um, you know, Corvette, you know, there's an obvious one. But I also broke it down into generation. Uh, so, so Corvette, Miata, you know, whatever, whatever other cars, you know, CRX, uh, Mercedes-Benz SL, uh, that sort of thing. So I broke it down that way, and then so I counted those out individually to see how those fared, and then I added up just generically, you know, Corvette, Miata, Z4, you know, whatever. So I'm going to ask first of all, what do you think? What do you think the highest number just by model, not generation, you know, not individual model? Oh, I should also clarify: two-seater I defined as a vehicle that in its body style, was only offered with two seats. Therefore, the Ford F-150 Lightning does not count because you could get that body style pickup truck with a bench seat. You couldn't get a Lightning with a bench seat. But then maybe unfairly, the Chevrolet SSR did count because you can't buy an SSR with a bench seat. Does that make sense? Um, True, fair. Okay. some, Some other vehicles, another vehicle then that would count on the list, very strangely, like the Volkswagen uh, Rabbit Caddy, which was a two-seater pickup truck. You could not get it 
with a bench seat because it you, was based on the rabbit. Did you see one um, of those? <laughs> so, did you so, see one of you those? Know, I, there's, there's some kind of goofy things with that rule, but I think it's a fair rule. Um, uh, so a Geometro convertible would count because in the convertible body style, it only came in a two-seater, but uh, in the hatchback, it had a back seat. Oh, Chevy Chevette scooter not does not count. Oh, my God. Did you see one of those? <laughs> just, just kind of throwing all those weird things out because that... These... So those vehicles weren't intended, and some of them kind of get grouped in tech by technicality. But anyway, I'm um, guessing a couple of these did slip in just because he's throwing these names yeah, out. These cars don't even roam the highways anymore. Where <laughs> you know what? You know what? Yesterday I did see a Chevette scooter, and that's what made me think of it. <laughs> oh boy! Oh my! Chevette scooter, for those who don't know, was the base Chevette that came without a back seat and without a glove box door. Oh, Nice. So, but it wouldn't have counted. It would not have counted. Um, so, okay, let's hear your guesses. Well, my guess. I'm gonna go right off the top. Corvette. Yeah, that's what, what I was. That's what I was gonna say. Just, I mean, and I would, I would almost say Miata would probably follow that up. But I was gonna go with Corvette too. I mean, I don't think there's anything else close to that that is, you know, be on the road in multiple states across the country. And, and I'm going with Corvette too. Uh, I, well, uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll hold that. I'll just reveal to you. Okay, six. I saw 63 total Corvettes during the trip. Wow. Um, Miata did come in second. I saw 26 Miatas. But what's interesting is, oh, actually, no, I retract that statement. Miata came in third. Miata came in third. Second place, and this was kind of tough because... I grouped these cars together. The Nissan Z cars. Oh. Uh, there were 27 wow. of those. They beat me out of by one. And uh, there was a lone 240Z that I saw just near Chicago. Three 300ZXs, 16 350Zs, and seven 370Zs. So I knew when I saw the 16 350Zs that that was going to be pretty high. Holy uh, smokes. What also was interesting to me is that actually not only did Corvette beat out all other two-seaters, but the C5 Corvette was the single most single car that I saw. And it there were 28 of those, so there were more C5 Corvettes than Z cars altogether and, and Miatas altogether. Wow. I believe that. And I, kind of, I, 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 I kind of wondered, though, if that was the Route 66 factor kicking in. Mm, I don't well, know. I, I see a lot of C5s out and about, too. I mean... I do, too. I do, too. I, I did, yeah, that that model was such an accessible model as your, you know, generation. Well, and and it was around for a lot of models. I mean, not, not as long as the C4, but uh, it's an no, accessible it's, car now being in the used car market. Right. Its yeah. desirability is higher than a C4 because right. it had the power to go with the name, the look, everything else. Okay. Now, 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 now let's move on to a couple other vehicles. Now, um, what do you think I saw more of? Skies or solstices? Mm, solstices. Sky. Eight skies. Two solstices, or six solstices, not two, six, six. Okay. Uh, but what's amazing is two of those solstices were coupes. Really? Oh, I saw so a coupe the, around um, here the other day. So the, com the convertible sky and convertible solstice, it was like the sky really, wow, really won out, which really surprised me. I would have thought it would have been solstice, the sky, two to one. Were the coupes and GXPs? Did you notice that? Neither, neither of them were. Okay. Very strange. A coupe Very GXP strange. Pontiac Solstice, that is a future collectible. I'm saying it here. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great, Di. Now you just up the, up the residual value on those things like nobody's business. Yeah. Just because you had to go open your mouth and tell everybody. <laughs> okay. Now, let, let me let me just run down some of these other ones real quick, and then we can move on to, 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 to some of the more current stuff. Um, uh Four Cadillac X XLRs, kind of significant just because it's based on the Corvette. Yeah, I uh, forgot about You see that. a bunch of those just bombing around southeast Michigan. Yeah, I think that's because some GM executives have pretty good access to them. 
Fair enough. Most of those seem to be V's. Yeah, those are all V's around here. Yeah. My brother who lives in Chicago is like, he says, I've never seen a V XLR before. And I'm like, I didn't even, I forgot they even made a non-V XLR. <laughs> <laughs> um, three Chevy SSRs, one lonely Fiero. And what's very funny about that, as soon as I got back, back home, I went running that evening, and I saw two within a block of my house, one of which was one I used to own. Um, <laughs> I should have guessed. So, so there were three within a block of my house, so that's kind of ironic. But um, 14 Boxsters. Yeah, uh, I can see that. Those are yeah, that's a pretty good one. I had thought accessible. Of yep, right in line with the Corvette. Yep, yep. Two Caymans, Ooh. one first-gen MR2, no second-gen MR2s, which I was very disappointed because I really like those. Uh, three third-gen MR2s, so a total of four MR2s. That's it. One Toyota Paseo. Well, kind of bizarre. I don't even know. Hold on. What is that? <laughs> I'm trying to think of what that is. It was a. It was based. It was a. It was a sporty-looking coupe that was based on the Tercel. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, that's, um, that's not gone well. No. <laughs> no. Don't even try and picture it. Don't even try and picture it. Nine. BMW Z3s, eight Z4s, none of which were coupes. Speaking of Z3s, of I course. saw the the uh, coupe today. I'm sorry. Wait, you saw a Z3 coupe? I saw a Z3 coupe today. That's yeah. Uh, Talk about something not gone well. Yeah, that's not a classically beautiful car. <laughs> People who like them like them, but I just couldn't get on board with that. Yeah, yeah, it looked like a shoe. <laughs> Uh, four S2000s, five Honda Del Souls, zero CRXs. That really shocked me. Zero CRXs. It's because they all rusted. Well, that's true. Uh, <laughs> two first-gen Insights. Uh, five Smarts, which I say people are not smart to be taking that thing out on the interstate. Uh, uh, four first-gen Mercedes-Benz SLKs, three second-gens. I saw two Mercedes-Benz SL classes from the 70s, two from the 90s, two current, or one current retractable gen. Only one RX-7, the third gen, you know, the final, the, the final one. Two modern Thunderbirds, one Ferrari F430, two Prowlers, two Crossfires, and then uh, the last two are kind of interesting. Um, I saw one, and you guys won't even know what this is. I saw one Crosley Hot Shot, which just gave a little bit of joy to me that day to see that. What um, year was that? <laughs> yeah, it would have been late 40s, I believe. And and Crosley actually was was a car that was made by the same manufacturer that made Crosley radios. Powell Crosley was the founder of the company, and it was a little two-seat runabout sports car prior to the Corvette, prior to the Nash Sheely, prior to a bunch of, you know, the Kaiser Darren Sport Coupe. Did it have uh, a Crosley radio in it? <laughs> probably not, because the price had to be so low, they couldn't put things <laughs> It didn't have doors, okay? So oh. it was really basic, really basic. But then my favorite that I saw, because I never in a million years would have thought that I would see one of these, especially in the mint condition it was in, and I did get a picture, was a Mercury LN7. No way. You even know what that is? Yes. You do? I do. How about you, Brandon? No. XR7 yeah. Cougar. <laughs> it, are you familiar with the Ford Escort EXP? Uh... It was... It was it was Mercury's version. It was basically Ford made a two seat sporty coupe to kind of compete with the Fiero, but it was front wheel drive. It was just based on the Escort. It had no back seat. Mercury sold a version car called the LN7. Extremely obscure car, and they weren't well built, so you didn't see a lot of them survive. And I saw one. Huh. Let's see. Oh, this is another one for Eric. You went to Meadowbrook this weekend. How was that? Well, Meadowbrook was, was really a treat. I had never been to a Concours before. 
and I had heard about Meadowbrook for many years, read about it, and it kind of snuck up and would, 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 would come and go. And uh, so I decided to go this year because I had read that they were going to be showing for the first time since its restoration the 1955 Chevrolet Biscayne Motorama show car. Um, now, this was a car that, that was on the GM Motorama circuit in the 19, well, 1955, um, and GM had ordered when each of these show cars had kind of done the circuit that they were supposed to be shipped off to this uh, salvage yard, yard and crushed. Uh, they, they had gotten nervous that some of these cars might get into the public's hands and uh, they might wreck them and you know, a lawsuit come against them because they weren't production vehicles. They were, they were show cars. They, you know, some of them were running. The Biscayne happened to be a running one. And so I read about this car way back in, in probably 89, maybe 1990, um, back when I was in middle school or, or early high school. And, uh, and there was a guy in, in the Chicago area that was buying these things up and trying to fix them up. And he had discovered that a lot of them had not been destroyed. And so the Biscayne was one that he had discovered in Sterling Heights, Michigan, and uh, he had bought it and was working on restoring it. Twenty-two years later, the restoration's finished, uh, and he was showing it to the public for the first time uh, yesterday. Uh, and so I got to see that car driving under its own power since the first time it was supposed to be scrapped way back in probably 1956. Wow. Um, so I got lots of good photos of that. Uh, it's a really neat car very small car for that era it's about it looks to be about the size of a chevy corvair its overall shape is very similar to a chevy corvair uh it was a four passenger um has kind of these bug eye headlights that stick off the the top of the hood <laughs> kind of like a bug eye sprite which in pictures i always thought looked awful that aspect of the car the rest of it i think was beautiful but but that i thought looked looked very bad but in person I kind of got it. I kind of got what, what, what Harley Earl and the stylists were looking for when they, when they did that car. A lot of design themes from the 55 Biscayne showed up on production Chevrolets. There's a side scoop that looks a lot like what ended up on the 56 Corvette, um, except it's facing the wrong direction. It's around the rear wheel and so the front. It has these turn signal pods that look like what ended up on the 63 Buick Riviera. Uh, the back end looks very much like the 1960 Corvair. Um, so it was just really neat to see. Uh, he had three other show cars there from the 50s, the 53 uh, uh, Pontiac Parisian, the 54 Pontiac Bonneville Special, which was kind of Pontiac's version of the 53 Corvette show car, uh, never got produced. And then uh, the third was the, uh, the original Buick Wildcat. So those, those are pretty neat. But there were just tons and tons of uh, Packards and and there were some Pierce Arrows, and there was a, you know, a, there were cars running on steam, and they had a, a class for, uh, uh, what did they call them? It was like uh, Space Age Sport Coupes, and so they had a oh 1957 Mercury Turnpike Cruiser, which I mentioned in, in the Best of Mercury column. Uh, uh, they, they, they had, I, I mean, they just had some just wonderful cars, you know, 59 Eldorado, uh, a couple of, of a 57 or a 58 and a 59 Chrysler Imperial. Um, well, one of them was an Imperial Ghia Limo, which was a really, really rare car. Um, a whole row of Chrysler Town and Countries from the 1940s with the wood, you know, the, the wood body station wagons, sedans and convertibles. Um, just a whole bunch of neat stuff. And then, as if that weren't enough, there because it's an upscale event, there were a lot of very premium cars, uh, new cars parked out, kind of as advertisements. Uh, a couple new Rolls Royces, a couple new Bentleys, the Bentley Super Sport, whatever that thing's called. Uh, they had one of those. Uh, a Cadillac CTSV Coupe uh, out there in the sunlight. I got to take some pictures of that. That was kind of neat. Uh, they had a row of super sedans, starting off with a Maserati Quattroport, a Jaguar XJ, a uh, Porsche Panamera, if that's pronounced right, a uh, Aston, Martin, an Aston Martin Rapide, an Audi A7, and a... A8. I'm sorry, A8. We'll talk about the A7 in a minute. <laughs> yes, thank you. Audi A8, followed by a uh, Bentley Arnage Final Edition. Ooh. That was the sedans. 
the sports cars, Viper ACR. Uh, there was a BMW M1, and this is the this is the order they were parked in. So this is kind of like how it kind of hits you as you looked at it. It was like you'd look at one and you kind of see out of the corner of your eye. The next car was like, oh my gosh, if this weren't good enough, there's this park next. So a Viper ACR, a BMW M1, um, Bugatti Veyron, oh. parked next to a Lamborghini Reventon, parked next to a Giardo uh, Roadster, parked next to a Ferrari Enzo. Park next to a Ferrari 599. Park next to a, and I should have looked up what what is the convertible called? The the retractable California. Convertible. The, the California, which really looked really bulky next to the 599. Yeah, <laughs> kind of has some. It has some. Yeah, I was yeah. I was surprised at that. Followed up by uh, an Italia. So the 458. Yes, 458 Italia. I have not so, seen a 458 yet. I am jealous. <laughs> yeah, it was it was. Well, and you know what? When I was walking around these cars, I was seeing angles on these cars that I would take pictures of had my battery not died. Uh-huh. Um, sorry to fail all of our listeners, <laughs> but some angles that I say, why have why have some of the 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 the, the hard copy, you know, photographers, photographers failed on failed to publish? Maybe because their battery died like mine. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. So this, and and then if, if all of that weren't enough, just out in the parking lot, the people coming to look at the, I, I cannot tell you how many vintage 1960s Cadillacs were out in the parking lot. It was it was glorious, uh, you know, just all sorts of neat stuff. And so so this was I had never gone to a a classic car show though where everything in the show was showroom quality, like it rolled off the showroom floor. You know, usually you go to these things and somebody's got some that they've modified non-stock or something that's got some rust on it or a tear in the seat, you know, nothing, nothing like that. I had no idea uh, what I was in for. So it was, it was, it was just a treat. Yeah. It sounds like it's right up your alley. I'd like to get there someday. We, we, we need to organize an outing next year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we do. We do. All right. Next topic, Caprice PPV detective edition. I'm drooling already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is this is gonna find a home in Eric's garage one day. It looks pretty cool. Well, the photo looks awful. Well, yeah. It will look cool. It will look cool. The car has great potential. It's sad that they're not, you know, offering this to the civilian market yet, or at all. I I, I don't see it going to the civilian market before. Holden restyles and updates the Commodore and its related cousins, the Caprice and the Ute and those sort of things. I, I, I think it's too late in the product cycle Models for like us to get it. Really long in the tooth? How many years has that been? Oh, it doesn't look long in the tooth. No, it doesn't, but like the... 2007 was when the Caprice came out in Australia. Is that it? For some reason, I thought it was sooner than that. Or well, later. But that's four full model years. I mean, for Chevrolet to import that from Australia now, it yeah. really does need to be, it, 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 is the, it is the same problem that they had when they imported the GTO. Uh, the, 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 Monaro, the Holden Monaro, when they imported it as the GTO, the, the, Monaro plat, the platform that the Monaro was on, the Holden Commodore, had been around since, I believe, 1996, and we didn't get it till 2004. Yeah, and, and that was that was one of many of the issues that the GTO had, despite it being, in my opinion, a very good car. Um, it, 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 that worked against it, and so I think Chevrolet would be wise to wait to launch a civilian Caprice until the next gen. True. This though allows them to take the opportunity to kick Ford while they're down or in transition from the Crown Victoria. Um, to the Taurus. I think it was very important for Chevrolet to kind of slip this thing in while the Ford loyalists are kind of going, I don't know if I really want to buy that Taurus-based Interceptor. Well, they've certainly know? got, you know, like we've talked before, they certainly got the advantage where it's a traditional V8, rear-wheel drive, traditional three-box sedan. Yeah, yeah. One, one thing one thing I do want to note, note too, about this, this photo that they've shown uh, it is interesting. We're seeing a new grill on the 9C3, which is the detective edition, 
and the 9C1 photo for the for the statistics, you know, for the stats, all, all, all the important information, now has a mesh has a mesh grill without a bar through it, which the first uh, photos that they revealed of the Caprice PPV uh, in 9C1 edition uh, or trim uh, had a different grill. So it's kind of interesting. They're making some final changes and. And uh, so don't start memorizing yet what to be looking for in the rearview mirror. change. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I look for Either light way, bar. Either way, I don't have flashy lights Yes, on. flashing lights, light bar, I'm nervous. I'm <laughs> 55. <laughs> I still get nervous if a black Crown Vic pulls up behind me, though. Or a dark blue one. Doesn't have to have anything on it. It's like... <clears throat> then it pulls up next to me, just some white-haired old dude. Huh. Smiling at me with... Teeth. <laughs> all right, I might have made that part up. Okay, I made all that up. Moving on. Caught a quick glimpse of this little tidbit in the news the other day. Chicago uh, is thinking about instituting a congestion charge, kind of like what our uh, relatives across the uh, Atlantic are doing over in England. Start charging people for driving into the city. Eric, you're a Chicago native. What do you think of this? I think this is ridiculous. And here's why. I used to commute 80 miles round trip every day in Chicago. Now, I didn't hit some of the expressways that they're talking about. I think they're talking about the Edens, the Stevenson, and uh, what was the third one? There was a third freeway. Uh, it's interesting. Those, those are actually, okay, the Stevenson, the Jane Addams Tollway, and the Kennedy. I'm sorry, it isn't the Edens. Those are currently not tollways for most of the length of those. In fact, I, the Kennedy turns into it at the end of it as a toll. There's a toll. But um, my opinion is that Chicago traffic is so horrific that people do not drive into the city unless it is to their benefit to drive into the city. Like they really need their car when they get down there. I, I was I was downtown Chicago just three weeks ago. Looking, uh, went downtown and I took the L in, parked remotely and took the L in because uh, parking is like fifteen dollars for the first hour. Oh you my know? And then it, it drops it drops off after that. You know, but you look at these parking garages. People are already not driving into the city if they don't have to. You put you put a charge on it. The only people. I, I think it's going to hurt the people who are maybe lower income that have to drive in. Um, the, the, the people that are c coming in in their Lexus LS460 and everything, they're still going to pay. It's just gonna, it's, 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 it's just a revenue generator. I, 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 I don't like it. I, I think they're already paying for the tolls. Um, I, 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 I don't see how to improve the situation with traffic in Chicago, except don't live there. That's why I don't. <laughs> well said. Well said. <laughs> There's an automotive trend's top tip. <laughs> <laughs> don't like the traffic? Don't live there. My brother-in-law uh, commutes, you know, into downtown Chicago, and uh, and he and my sister live close to downtown, part of, partly because of his job, and uh, and he t he takes the train a lot, you know, um, because it's just it's just more efficient. So I I, I think people are already doing it. Yeah, it's terrible. I could never do that. I mean, it's like double dipping and maybe even in some cases triple dipping. If you already pay taxes to maintain the roads and then you're, it's a tollway and then there's a congestion charge. and It's like there's yeah. just creative names to recharge you for what I mean, you've already paid for. What, what, I, I, I would, I would, they, they were talking about peak hours, I think, on, on charging you know, people to go into town and going, going downtown and when, when not to. And and I guess part of me says just make all the all the roads in and out of Chicago a toll road if that's what. Of course, they're trying to reduce congestion. I don't know. I, they just need less people. <laughs> I don't know. I don't see a simple solution. Anyways, moving on. So just as we're getting all prepped and ready to go here. Ran across another piece of news that Chevy is going to announce pricing on the Volt tomorrow. Needless to say, our timing could have been a little bit better. However, I thought it'd be kind of amusing. Actually, I think Brandon thought, but I'm the one running the show right now, so I'm going to say I thought it'd be amusing. 
if we all just kind of threw out a guess as to what we think the bold is going to be priced at, and then next time we'll say, hey, you know, so-and-so was right or wrong, and go on with life. It'll be fun. So, Brandon, what do you think? Um, now, are we, this will be the price, so we're, we're, we know that the Volt owners Base are going to get, yeah, but minus the $7,500 tax break, or with the $7,500? Do not, no, don't figure. So what is the MSRP going to be? Yeah, just straight MSRP, no tax breaks, uh, um, uh, 30, minus the shipping charge. Yeah. Oh, minus the shipping charge. Uh, all right wait is this are we playing prices right rules where if you go over you you lose or, well uh, i'll tell you what whoever's closest wins let's see it's well it's well past business hours so you get to take the rest of the day off okay this is <laughs> a lot on the line now let me see um all right i'm going to say we're looking at 38,990. Ooh, 38.990 I have dealt my my thought. All right, Grenand, what do you say? I had decided in my mind. That's a good place to decide. Four, I'm, I had two numbers, and I'm going to split the difference. Forty-two thousand five hundred. Forty-two five hundred. Yikes. So, all right. Well, I'm going to say I was easily the lowest of y'all. Um, I. Kind of took a went by a long shot here and said twenty nine nine ninety eight. Uh, you are pie in the sky, Muxlow pie. In I, the it's sky. pie in the sky, but I think uh, I don't if, know. Just I, if I ha- Chevy pulls that off. Remember, I'm saying base model, so like strip down nothing in it. But they're not going to sell any of those for what? They gonna make it? The first Great model sense. year is not Great going sense. to have any of those. <laughs> Second of all, there's no such thing as a cheap volt to produce. They all took all this research and development, and they've all got the batteries and the twenty nine. It, it would be nice, but well, it's, well, well, Jason, what, what do you think they're going to do? Put crank windows in an electric <laughs> car? <laughs> I mean, how ironic would that be? Hey, one of us had to shoot low. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a good thing we're not playing prices right. I think the answer is probably in there somewhere, but 29 is... Yeah, I think it's above 29.995. Right, 29.98. Oh, 29.998. I make sure I got enough Niners in there. Yeah. Yeah, the real price will probably... Like I said, once Brandon threw his number out, I kind of did it. Yeah, I think Brandon's probably closest, but we'll find out tomorrow. I hope so. And and I think I think the problem, Jason, with with your with your price is if they price it too low, they are going to get so many people saying, "See, the government's all behind this." Well, but if they <laughs> price it too high, then they won't sell it, which is the problem with these. I know they need things. to pull a Prius and just lose money on a certain number of them for a certain well, number years so that they can keep pushing Silverados and Sierras. Exactly. Yeah, I really hope the price doesn't start with a four because if they if it does it's it you know Oh I think if it starts with a four, no offense Eric, I think it's doomed for failure. Well I, I'm not offended with my <laughs> with, with my guess being wrong, believe me. I I, I I am very excited to see this car, to see how it drives, yeah. to see how feasible it is. To see, you know, can she make money off of it? Are people willing to spend, you know, thirty thousand plus dollars for a Chevy Cobalt side Chevrolet? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, that, 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 all those questions, I'm, I'm very, I'm very curious to see answered. So, guess we'll at least know the price by this time tomorrow. So, we will report yeah. back in the next podcast and chew that over some more. Well, we'll throw a quick note up on the web for you too. <laughs> All right, moving on to the not quite as big a news, because the really big news is after this. The 2011 Audi A7 Sportback, which is really, this is based on the A8 and essentially a four-door coupe. Yeah. Here comes but, that conversation again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this isn't that big of a surprise. We saw the concept uh, a couple of years ago, right, at Detroit. So yeah. it, it, that carried over almost completely intact. I'm not, I don't know, we'll throw this over to Eric so we can get his design input. I'm, 
You know, it looks different enough to be called an A7, I guess, but I'm not positive that this looks mm, dramatic enough, I guess, uh, at least compared to, a, you know, a CLS or something. I wholeheartedly agree. I, 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 I am disappointed at the drama. Um, I, in fact, this is, as I was looking at it, I'm like, this reminds me of something. And I think I know what it reminds me of, and it's kind of comical what it reminds me of. It actually, for some reason, reminds me of an old VW fastback. You know, you had the square back, the notchback, and the fastback. Um, from the 1970s. This kind of looks like that. I think if they put some vents on the Thunder, <laughs> be right there. Um, but, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it, you know, it, it's, it's thankfully not, n not as controversial, to put it gently, as the BMW Gran Turismo. Ugh. So, but it's not as good looking as, as the, uh, as the A5 Sportback. Or the CLS. Or the CLS, and I think it should be better looking at least than Audi's lower-priced sibling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you're going with a car like this, uh, you need to <laughs> you need to go kind of all out with it, and I'm not sure that Audi is very good at doing that in most respects, although I guess they do have R8s, they have TTs, that kind of stuff. So it can be done, but uh, this is it's fine-looking. I just, I, I guess I hope... The price is right, although, you know, otherwise, why would you not pay a small premium for the lovely A8 or, like you said, uh, even go to, um, you know, one of the lower offerings? But has anybody seen, uh, the press pictures I've seen did not show the rear compartment at all. Is this a, is this a 2 plus 2 with a full-length center console, or what's the deal back there? You know, it's not showing a back seat at all. It's not showing the hatch open. I would be interested. Oh, well, there's another question. Is it actually a hatch or is it a short deck lid trunk? Uh, that's a good question. I can't zoom in far enough. I like the profile. Wow. Well, if it is if it is a full hatch, it appears that it's doing a BMW Gran Turismo feature because I see a cut line um, that looks like a small opening. And then it looks like there's a secondary cut line that, that cuts up to the rear window. Um, so I'm going to guess that it's got a two-mode or a, a, a dual-action hatch. It can open like a trunk or a full hatch. Which is absolutely pointless because that Gran Turismo is overly bulky, it's overly complicated, and if you open the little trunk part, you can't hardly get anything in it. Well, I agree with you on the complexity of it. I think I broke the one at the Detroit Auto Show. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. I pressed somebody was because because I, I I was like trying it out. I'm like, ooh, it's got you know two features. And I pressed the button to close it, and it stopped part way down. And it was like if somebody else had asked me, how did you do that? And I'm like, oh, you just do this. You press the button, and then it like stopped halfway down, and it wouldn't go down. So I pushed on it to get it to latch all the way. And I don't know. I I, I hope I didn't break it. Um, but if I did, it serves BMW right for making it so complex. Great, um, we'll never be asked back to the BMW lot again. <laughs> but it, but I, I do have to disagree with Muxel on one point, though. Even though that small opening is hard to get to, it is it is big enough that if you're just putting groceries in there or something, you're not making everybody who's you're not making the whole entire compartment cold in the winter. When you're not opening up the whole back of the car, I think that's beneficial. Mm, I can see your point. You just don't want to agree that <laughs> Mostly yes. <laughs> we shall see. Okay, uh, pull out any insults against the rear opening on the Ford Excursion, then. Which is a wonderful truck. Just. You need a little butter or pan or olive oil to get the uh, rear seat out through the back doors. Yeah, I'm not going to go on any more of a tangent. <laughs> Die, rescue us! <laughs> I say we should just move on to the big news of the day. Okay, big news. Ford Explorer, here it comes. In bum, all bum, bum, bum. Yay! <laughs> wow. 
That's a lot of fanfare around here. <laughs> well, I was going to say boo, but, you know. I like it. It just, it's, um... Yeah, this is the first time we've had a chance to discuss this day, because we've all been separated throughout the day, but... Uh, yeah, know, and I haven't really revealed my feelings to Jason as we're sitting in the same room, so... I like about, it. About I, this thing. I'm a little bit um, disappointed that it's not just a wee bit bigger, because then it would have really taken on the Traverse and the Acadia and the Enclave just that much more. But that said... It's a little tidier. We can market, you know, Ford can market it as say, hey, we're a little bit tidier than the Traverse. You can park it easier. <laughs> and um, the flex. What's that? And the Flex. And the Flex. Well, it looks better than the Flex. I don't know. I like the new 2011 Flex, but this this is pretty decent looking. I, I was actually hoping for just a bit more. The teasers were kind of amping me up. I thought we might have a really cool kind of... Um, flex style, uh, like a floating roof kind of look to it. Uh, I thought well, maybe Ford would go to something like that. Black a pillar. It has the black A pillar. And B pillar and D pillar. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I, you know, was leading to believe maybe we'd see something kind of cool like that. But it, it really mostly traditional, I guess, in its approach as far as that goes. But certainly this will carry the Explorer for you know several years to come. I think it's a, it's a fresh looking vehicle. Um, I'm mostly excited about the 2.0 EcoBoost, I guess, is in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think those Which are... Which is rated, well, I, I guess it says, they're saying up to 237 horsepower and 250 pound-feet of torque, which is nothing too shy to stay, shake a stick Only at. Only five foot-pounds of torque shy of the V6. I know. I was very disappointed about that. Well, that means the V6 isn't really as good as... No, the V6 was oh. terrible. <laughs> You're disappointed about that? I was. I'm quite happy with those numbers. Well, I... the V6. No, 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 no. I'm excited for the four cylinders' sake. Yeah. Not... Oh, oh, I see I'm what you're just... saying. I'm you're... disappointed that the V6 doesn't have more torque for better towing. I see. I thought you were talking about hauling. the, the, it, the it's old like... And actually, it's kind of weird because the V6 is standard. You actually option up to the the two-liter four-cylinder. So is the four-cylinder more expensive or less expensive? Is this one of these cost reduction options that is so rare, or are you actually paying more money for the smaller engine? I think, I think you actually pay a small pay, premium yeah. for the smaller engine. I'm so it's less. not like the Ford Excursion that came standard with the V10. And you could option, option down. Correct. No, it's you can option... I think it is a small option, and I haven't had a chance to play with the, the well, configurator. Well, for that. Well, yeah. but it's the mileage benefit is what you get I there. No, but still, how many people are going to opt for the smaller? Maybe Ford's messing with. Ford thinks there's people out there now that will pay a premium for the efficiency. Um, yeah. Especially yeah. if they can well, put if they can put two or three miles per gallon between the highway ratings of the two, which they should be able to do. Oh yeah, easily uh, yeah. they'll be able to do that. Especially because the, the four cylinder is only available with front wheel drive. Yeah, that was a little surprising. I'm, I was a little bit disappointed about that one again. Well, but, I mean, it has the power. Gosh. Why would you not offer yes, it in four wheel? But think about this: the vehicle weighs less than I think. Hold on, I'm gonna have to check my stats. It's got to weigh less than the Expedition, right? Oh, it's better. Yeah. yeah okay. That, that would not go well. The Expedition, in its first model year, the V8 that it came with was only 215 horsepower and 290 pound-feet of torque. Now, granted, that's a, a good deal amount more torque, but you're you're balancing the numbers out a little bit better yeah. here. So I don't know that it would really be all that different unless they just don't want to put it, don't want it to feel slow, which... It may or may not, but either way, it's got to have some, you know, well, some you know, better you know, one, one thing that is interesting about this strategy for Ford, I, I, I have been reading within the last few months that uh, I think in 2009, maybe it wasn't 2009, I believe it was 2009, that four vehicles that offer a six-cylinder and a four-cylinder, um, and those being the only two options, that the take rate on the four-cylinder four was like 70%, percent, 
Um, and so we, I always think of, oh, everybody upgrades to the six-cylinder on these things, you know, whether it be a Fusion or a Malibu or or, uh, or a Camry or whatever. And, and, and it really has not been the case yeah. in the last few years. And so Ford may be doing a very smart thing by saying, you know what, most people want the four-cylinder anyway. We're going to charge a few bucks more for it. But if that is their logic, I would say it might be backwards logic because part of the reason people buy the four-cylinder is because they don't have to check another box with more dollars on it. Right. Well, either way, around here, around our way, I think we're going to see, I'm going to go as far as say we're going to see 90% V6s anyways because most people around here think they have to have all-wheel drive. Yeah, I think you might be onto something there. Hey, I don't know, ninety percent, but that's possible. But I, I bet you there's going to be a lot of front wheel drive explorers driving around. I mean, because I, I think a lot of people, uh, when they hear front wheel drive, they're going to go, "Oh, well, now I don't have to get a, a four wheel drive because in the past I had to get a rear wheel drive, you know, Explorer." And clearly, that wouldn't handle well in the snow. But, but, however. They're trying to market this as an SUV. The alter, or they're going to the is, traditional you know, buyer. As a yeah. traditional SUV. Yeah, they're not marketing it as a crossover. Which clearly is not. It's clearly a crossover, but they're trying to, you know, hey, check out our new SUV. Yeah. You can't say that with a front-wheel drive four-cylinder. But then again, most people who drive an Explorer, I'm going to guess, don't understand that distinction. Exactly. I think Jason uh, is give, giving too much credit to, you know, to the buying public. Here's my two cases to say why Jason is wrong. Um, first of all, when I worked at the car rental agency, we used to deliver cars to the Ford dealership. And the Ford dealership in our town had a truck department and a car department. The car department did not rent from us. The truck department did. So all of my customers I would take down to the truck department, which was literally down below I had customers that would come in for some sort of service on their Ford Explorer, and I would drive them back to the truck department, and I had customers who just were using these things as a family car, these Ford Explorers, and, and, and I had a customer, no joke, say to me, I don't understand why I've got to get my Explorer serviced in the truck department. It's clearly a car, and I and very calmly, since this is one of my customers, I want to respect you know, their intelligence and everything, and I'd say, well, what about this makes you think that it's a car? I mean, it's it's based on a truck platform. And and they would say something to the effect of, well, this is a family car. I use it to take my kids to school in. You know, and I'm like, but that doesn't make it a car. It's still... <laughs> but, you know, by this point, I've lost the person if I start talking about rear wheel <laughs> You know, um, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, I suppose on that person. But, but, but the second... Almost. My second point is I had a friend uh, who, who uh, was not into cars, and we had a mutual friends that were a married couple that had a Chevy S10 pickup and a Chevy Blazer. Same model here, same front face, same hood, same front fenders, you know, all, I mean, they looked the same from the A-pillar forward. And I would talk about the husband's SUV being a truck. I'd be like, oh, there's so-and-so's truck. And then the wife's S10, I would refer to as a pickup truck. And I'd say, oh, there's so-and-so's truck. And finally, this friend of mine, uh, who was not into cars, said to me, why do you always refer to the Blazer as a truck? Because it is a truck. And she says, no, it's not. It's an SUV. And I said, what about these two vehicles makes you think that one's a truck and not the other? She says, well, this one's got a bed on the back, and this one's, a, this, this one's an SUV. I said, and I went through the whole explanation of that. Trucks come in different body styles. Some of them are open bed pickup trucks. Some of them have station wagon bodies, and those are hence SUVs. But most people, most people don't. Act. Ford's doing the right thing. I don't like that this has gone to a front wheel drive car based platform. I liked that the Explorer was was a three row SUV that could tow a boat. That I, I really liked the Explorer that 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 has been around up until now. But I think Ford's going to sell a gazillion of them. I think the whole market is going to shift in this direction. I, th I think they're at the right place at the right time with a fairly decent-looking truck. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, we still don't have the EPA numbers, but, uh, you know, like Ford has stated already in their press materials today, they're going after a traditional 
SUV buyer here, and you can see that already in their marketing. I mean, all the all the teaser pictures that have been released, they've all been you know explorers in the woods with kayaking, and they're driving on trails, and they're you know so the marketing will push this vehicle whatever direction they need to go. But I guess a couple of surprises from today with what we know now. I was a little surprised that a the the two-liter EcoBoost is not going to be available with four-wheel drive right off the bat. I do you guys give me some input? I mean. Do, is that just going to be a delayed introduction, or is there some technical reason that they're not going to do that? I just, I'm, I can't believe it. with 250 pound feet of torque. I mean, like Jason pointed I out, don't know. we I... had that power level or less just, uh, you know, six or seven years ago in bigger vehicles. So why, you know, it's certainly not solely related to a, you know a power deficiency or anything. I mean, and it's, 250 pound feet. Clearly not packaging because it's a smaller engine. Yeah, I, that, that was the route I was going to go, and I had to stop myself. Just, well, you know what, though? Is it possible the transmissions that they've, that they've engineered these things to bolt up to are not, you know, one is not all-wheel drive compatible? I mean, I, I, I don't know. It might be that, or maybe they're worried about well, supply issues right off, Well, the in the Edge is going to be made into all-wheel drive, Okay. I believe, well, right? Wait, wait, wait. I well, haven't seen anything to the contrary. Yeah, I'd, we'd have to do some research on that. That I think you maybe, have a good maybe, point there. Just because you haven't heard it to the contrary, though, maybe that's going to be another surprise. Right. Hmm. Uh, well, so we maybe have that Ford possibility. Is, maybe Ford's going into new territory here, pushing people out of even the complexity of all-wheel drive. Yeah, but they like kind the money that their comes with it. I don't know. That's a they big like, moneymaker. Yeah, you sell them on four-wheel drive. Oh, no, you get some snow in your area? Well, you're going to need this $2,700 four-wheel drive upgrade. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say, how much more complex is it? You get a torque or you get a... Well, know. there's there's issues, but... Yeah, turn the power around and... Um, I'm thinking maybe this is just going to be a delayed intro. Maybe they're worried about supply issues. I don't know. They're ramping up on this 2-liter EcoBoost. And they, like we've already mentioned, you know, the four-wheel drive take rate on Explorers in particular and everything else, uh, you know, traditional SUV is so high that maybe they're thinking we wouldn't have enough to cover what we're planning here right out of the gate. So... That could be. I, I don't know. Maybe this is uh, six months down the road... Uh, four-wheel drive two-liter comes online or something but uh, that could be another thing where they just don't want to you know they know it's going to be a little bit porkier it's going to be a little bit slower they don't want to you know they're going to bring it out later so no one goes well i got the four-cylinder with the all-wheel drive but it wasn't quite you know all that i was hoping for well you know and 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 maybe this is maybe this is a way for ford to have because some people are going to buy it because it's the god of the half you know it's like okay uh, my my current explorer is my current explorer is getting old, you know, um, and, and so it's time to trade it in. And gosh, they get to the dealership and find out they can't get the all-wheel drive. Well, I'm buying it anyway because I really like the way it looks. Blah blah blah. And then as interest drops off a little bit, you know, I mean, it could be like what the sports car manufacturers do. You know, Chevy doesn't come out with the convertible. Well, didn't used to come out with a Corvette convertible right away. You know, the Z06 was delayed a year. Porsche does that with the 911, you know, always coming out with new iterations later on. Maybe this is just a way to keep the demand level for a little while. That could be. I think you got a point. I think we got a point there. Um, but overall, I think uh, it's good, good-looking vehicle, and coming out with the right mix of priorities being fuel economy and passenger comfort and technology with the sinks of the the sync uh, latest version of the sync system and all that kind of stuff so we'll look forward to i guess uh, full pricing and and full specs and hopefully get to uh, report back get behind and, the wheel yeah, sooner get behind the sooner wheel yeah. and we'll report back but i think that's about all we had on the docket for tonight we'll uh, no 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 oh, do we have more <laughs> we gotta talk about what we actually got behind the wheel of oh you're right you're right <laughs> <laughs> You're right. What did we drive? We uh, executive editor dies trying to check out on me early. Yeah, I was almost ready to cash in my winnings from you know winning on the Volt pricing thing. I thought I thought I got the. Yeah, well, it off. doesn't happen until tomorrow, oh, so no. you can wait just a few more minutes. All right, we're going to start off with the Lexus RX three fifty. Die, start us off. Um, I can see why a lot of people buy these vehicles. It's ultra comfortable, it rides heavenly. 
Actually, I was pretty impressed with the engine. Um, very, very nice exhaust note actually under uh, or engine noise under um, uh, under load. It's uh, not overly torquey or anything, but it sounds nice and polished. And um, the only thing really that actually surprised me that was unLexus-like, I guess, in our particular example, which did have a lot of miles on it, uh, probably had a hard life. But the transmission had a, some instances of uh, some rough shifts. Which kind of surprised me, but and I'm not a huge fan of the look of these things. Um, but it's like a big giant jelly bean. With yeah, a the, the front end is I really odd. Oh. The rear, the front end is really odd in person. It really cuts down, and there's really no lower bumper <laughs> at all. So that's I, kind of I, weird. I was afraid I was the only one who thought that. I agree with you wholeheartedly. No, it, it's pretty odd looking. Um, Great seats, great stereo, so-so uh, nav system. Um, I'm, I'm not positive I'm a fan of the mouse controlling unit. I don't know. Has Lexus come up with a name for that? What are they calling it? <laughs> Uh, everyone, uh, everyone names remember. everyone names their controller system, and I'm not positive what Lexus calls theirs, but they use this kind of mouse um, cursor deal, and for some things it makes them, uh, makes selection easier. I thought easier. it was pretty intuitive, very smooth. It's not good feeling. It's not buttered, bad, uh, well but, oiled feeling. But the uh, I just don't think we can beat a good touchscreen unit for one. Um, I mean, there's only several selections on screen. Why do you need to be able to move in every, you know, at every, you know, a mouse cursor lets you select anything anywhere on the screen, but you've only got a couple buttons you can choose from anyway, so why not just roll through those selections, uh, you know, a la the way the Vo uh, Audi uses their system, or just come up with a nice touchscreen interface and bypass the controller altogether. I you know, I and question that. And it displaces that. the shifter into a stupid position. Yeah, the shifter gets jammed up there a little weird too. But yeah. <laughs> jammed up vertical on the <laughs> on the center stack, and it's they like just put it back on the column. Exactly. Um, Sorry. So that, that that's one thing. I mean, to each his own. I certainly was able to use it right <laughs> out of the box, uh, as far as that controller for the everything goes. Um, Did you ever catch a weather alert on that? The weather was not nearly as good, you know, as far as the weather maps and stuff. You know, who had vastly superior technology in that area was the Hyundai Sonata we drove a few weeks ago. Well, I know, but it was still pretty cool because I got into a couple of storms with this dude, and every once in a while it'd, like, flash alerts, and then you'd get, yeah. like, the yellow, yellow clouds on the map. And... Yeah, but the Hyundai actually did that better. But I agree. But... They're, very, they're very comfortable, very smooth. I mean, I just love the ride, and they're very quiet, very little wind noise. Everything you'd expect, you know, in which Lexus is known for, applied here with the exception of the slightly clunky shifter once in a while. But I don't know. I mean, we, we I need to compare this to more. We're going to be driving uh, Cadillacs SRX coming up here in the coming weeks, and I'm kind of curious to see how that matches up. I have not driven the Q5. The Audi Q5, I think, would be a very strong contender in this segment. You know, I don't know. What, what did our sticker for? Like 56, something around there? 55, 56? That sounds about right. 55. Uh, it's a lot of money. Oh. for. Uh, this is not a big vehicle. Um, well, you know where they spent all that money? Mm. For plastic shrouds and covers for the engine bay. Yeah, you can't, you can't see yeah, anything under that there. Thing, it's like all big black plastic, and then there's like this big giant hole where there's more plastic. And supposedly there's an engine down there. Probably part, partly why it's so quiet, but uh, um, I, overall positive review of the vehicle just based on how comfortable it is. I mean, you could get in and, and drive, I think, uh, you know, a 10-hour day and not be any worse for wear getting out at the end of that 10 hours. So for that, it's successful. Uh, it might be a bit pricey for what I think I, you could get alternatively, but we need to get a comparison. I thought the together. cameras were a bit excessive yeah, on it. Absolutely, um, that was the, weird. <laughs> very useless. <laughs> very useless. The, the the one that was like up on the I, I don't know where it was. It was under the, the rearview mirror. mirror. It was yeah, under it was the passenger mirror. side mirror. Yeah. J J Jason was pulling into my driveway, and I was just kind of giving him a courtesy direction because there were five cars in the driveway at the time, and he was trying to squeeze it in. And as I'm directing him, he kind of waves me off like, no, I've got a camera there. 
was like, where? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it even, you can even see the front tire as you turn the wheel. It, like, you know, I, I thought it was excessive. It was. I guess it was useful because I didn't have to wait. In that one instance, <laughs> it was slightly useful because I didn't, I could see where the car was to the right of me, but you can't really see what's in front of you. And it's still, all that stuff is great, but it, you still have to use your brain. You still have to use your eyes for and look around, you know, out the windshield. Hand may be useful now and then, but unnecessary. Agreed. Besides, Eric was standing there waving me like air traffic control. <laughs> Uh, we need to get a Comparo together of those. That'd be a, a, there's a lot of good options in that class, so we need to try to get that arranged. Yep. We'll uh, report Actually, back if we're new, successful on that. The heavily revised MKX would match up against this pretty well. Yeah. All right, moving on. Mazda Speed 3. Now, there was a fun little car, as long as you keep it straight. Yeah, um, Mazda Speed 3, you know, we've been a fan of the 3 since the beginning, and then you almost nearly doubled the torque of, you know, uh, of the uh, base engine previously. Of course, we were huge fans of the Mazda Speed 3, the first gen. This one comes along, certainly looks the part, <clears throat> still has a well, great mid-range. It looks a part, it looks... Like an ugly little lizard. <laughs> well, the front Dang. end, the front end has its issues. Yes, no, everybody has established yeah, that. Face. But the rest of the car is certainly a, a sporty-looking uh, three. So I, uh, you know, three out of four sides work. So that's passing. <laughs> but you know, explosive mid-range power. I mean, between twenty-five hundred and about eh, just shy of six thousand, like fifty-seven hundred. A lot of power uh, when you're on the turbo. Uh, it's very successful in any kind of passing maneuver, stuff like that. Power dies off right after that 57, 5800 RPM, even though the red line is 6700. Uh, 6, There's no sense holding it out for that long because the power really drops off. So you short shift it a little bit and stay in the power. But it comes on with a six-speed manual, so bonus points there. Uh, pretty good manual, actually, for that matter, too. It doesn't like to be rushed all the time. I, I did, and I've never really had this problem before. I can't recall. You kind of have to... Make sure you're following the beats. Yeah, yeah. Two to, <laughs> two to three, if you rush that, I, yeah, I did get hung up a couple times on two to three, and I don't uh, remember having that issue in Mazdas before, so we'll see what's up with it, <laughs> if that's a future well, issue. I don't have it in my Mazdas, that's for sure. No, that's true. I'm, I'm hoping it was this particular example, but <clears throat> could be a Mazda speed thing now. Um, the problem is, you know, I'm doing some research on this because the review is going to be coming out here shortly, right in the review, but... They changed this vehicle right off. I thought this vehicle felt a little slower off the line than previous, the previous Mazda Well, it's Speed heavier, three. isn't it? It's a little heavier, 90, I think it's like 92 pounds, something like that. So a little bit, but it, it, that shouldn't have made the difference that I was feeling. Turning turns out that um, right in their press materials, Mazda says they adjusted all the gear ratios and went with taller gear ratios, <clears throat> and you, you pull up the stats on them, and you see that's the case, and that is the reason the 0 to 60 time is, uh, is actually slower than the previous generation. So in this case, even though they've carried over the engine, the weight gain hasn't been, you know, it's moderate uh, at most. The gearing make all the difference here, and this car does feel a little, a little, um, a little softer. The edge has been taken off every gear, on, on acceleration, it still has that great mid-range, you know, when you're running and you're on the turbo, but this is a slower car to 60 than um, than uh, than the previous generation. So the offside of that is I think this car handles superbly. Um, for the way it looks, you would not think this thing could hunker down and, and handle as good as it does. So it really does hang on very nicely. Uh, also has electri uh, electric power steering. I think it's a very good system for that. Uh, we've been hit and miss on that lately. Everyone's going to the electric power steering, but this is this is a pretty good example of how to do it right. Um, still Are you has paying attention, Hyundai. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. See Mazda on how to at least do it acceptably. Strong brakes, good seats. Uh, price is still right. 
the problem is uh, driving this car now, A, being a little disappointed that it, it doesn't feel quite as quick as the old one. We have a new problem here, and uh, so I'll say as much in my review. Uh, this car stickered at 26, and it had uh, the only option package, which was like, uh, let me look here, $1,900 for this Mazda Speed Tech package. So you can get into one of these for about $24,000. Um, the problem is, for about that same price, you can now get a 2011 Mustang V6, which will return 31 miles per gallon on the highway, has 300 horsepower, and has never torque steered a day in its 45-year existence. So it starts to look hard for me to get behind one of these because, darn it all, that new Mustang V6 beats it on almost every front. <laughs> Do you guys agree, disagree? I mean... I agree wholeheartedly except for one, which is very minimal, and that's the uh, uh, passenger factor just coming from being a new father Getting the child seat in and out would be impossible with the uh, uh, You're right. with the Mustang. We've got a two-door versus a four-door here. Good point. Right. Two-door versus four-door and back seats much more. However, I don't know how this is so, but the child seat didn't fit actually fit into this car worse than the previous Gen Mazda 3. So... It's already going down in my book as what far as make thicker seat cushions. It or? must be or something because like the I don't know it, it the seat had to be further forward and then when you did that it's like the dash bulged out more so then my wife's legs had to go up somewhere near the um, driver's mirror or the passenger's mirror which didn't make her happy <laughs> which doesn't make me happy because I hear about it. Miles is happy, but... He's oblivious. So, he's oblivious, exactly. He's <laughs> four and a half months old. As long as he goes zoom, zoom, he's happy. I mean, yeah. you should see him giggle when I say that. But, yeah, aside from that, the Mustang is a clear winner in my book. Yeah. And it looks cool. Yeah, and that wasn't the case when the previous Mazda Speed 3 was out either. I mean, the Mustang V6 did not used to be a performance option, but now it is. It's, well, it's, it used it's, to be an asthmatic with a... <laughs> Breathing through a straw. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, thank you for that demonstration. Um, no. So that's uh, that's what we've had in the garage lately. We've got more filtering in. Actually, we got some new arrivals today, but we'll talk about those down the road. So um, I think that's all we had. Am I being premature this time, Muxel? You, you're running no. the agenda. No, you can, uh, you can close the show now. All right, well, that's all we got this week. Uh, keep reading Automotive Trends, and uh, in the meantime, uh, we'll just say goodnight. God bless.